Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation and walk through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, looking into the hidden chambers of these movies to try and find how they have shaped us and formed our imaginations. Although after all this time, I'm not getting my hopes up. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today, we're on our fifth Deutero canonical episode, and maybe one of these times I'll pronounce that word correctly, um, where we take a break from the canon at the end of a decade and talk about other animation from Disney done in the same era. In the past, we've done episodes on shorts of the 30s, 40s, 50s. We had a supercalifragilistic episode on Mary Poppins. Last time, we visited Scrooge McDuck in Mickey's Christmas Carol, and we've just finished the canonical movies of the 90s, and so we're back with Scrooge again, but he's playing himself this time. We're traversing deep into the desert, where the sand burns like a hot kebab, and exploring DuckTales the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp. Our dubious guide on this journey, even though he has such sensitive skin and his brains boil so easily, is your friend and mine, Michael Farmer. That introduction was a real duck blur, Josh. <laughs> Would you say that this movie contains tales of daring do, bad and good luck tales? <laughs> yeah, there's there's plenty of bad luck in this movie, that's for sure. And some good luck, too. So, yeah, I would say it. I would say that. <clears throat> Much tales of daring do. <laughs> that is uh, that's one of the greatest uh, theme songs ever, and, and one of the worst also. It's... it's uh, it really It really stretches your tolerance for... Uh, for kind of light verse rhymes <laughs> yeah but it's so so catchy and everybody of a certain age like knows it you know right. like it's just, it's it's uh it's universal in that way I, or, I can't believe we're two minutes into this episode and neither one of us have gone uh woo <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and i think this movie is for for people of that era i think anybody else who who stumbles upon this movie somehow i'm i it'd be interesting to know like how they take it you know but um, this, this movie before. is very much like a three or four four episodes of the ducktales cartoon show uh right. compiled into one the animation's a little better um but in terms of the overall tone of the movie and all that it, it really is really right out of the uh right out of the the series yeah and the series had a couple runs where they were like that. There were, you know, three or four connected together to be continued um, things. And I think that's basically what they had in mind uh, when they were when they were going about making this. Um, hopes for more, but it didn't do very well at the box office, so they they decided to scrap that, which is sad for maybe sad, maybe not. Like maybe it preserves uh, Ducktales from becoming. Um, Aladdin, <laughs> which is what they made instead, right? They made like four, uh, four sequels to Aladdin. So right. maybe maybe it's better that they they moved on. But I don't know. I I, re I really liked this. So, um, but I'm I'm definitely uh, firmly in the Ducktale fan cat camp. So now, had you seen this when it came out in 1990? Uh, I must have because so I was reading online about how for a while it kind of languished in. Um, you know, you had to be in the fan club in order to get the DVD or whatever, but we had the VHS. Um, so we, we watched, we, had we watched a this a lot. Pirated so. version of the movie. My aunt taped it <laughs> off of HBO for us. But I, nice. I remember going in the theater and seeing it as well. I th this was released in the theater, right? It was this, yeah, this is a theatrical release. I, I don't know if my parents took us or not. Um, I kind of imagine that they would have because my dad was also a DuckTales fan. He'd watch 
DuckTales with us as part of the Disney afternoon. So so maybe we all went together, um, but that's that's been erased from my memory. <laughs> sure. sure. And, and you know, now that you now that you now that we brought it up, I I I don't know that I have a real clear memory of sitting in the theater watching it. So maybe I didn't. Maybe I've only seen that pirated HBO presentation 115 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, definitely probably 115 viewings in my life too. Um, we really, we really liked this one and, and definitely wore the tape out on it. So my brother and I would quote all the time that, uh, delicious, delicious. Everything's more delicious when you're rich. Even me. <laughs> I was surprised. Now I watched this once in, uh, college. I worked, uh, the night shift at a hotel and, you know, after 11 o'clock, people aren't coming into a hotel in rural Georgia. So I would sit back there and I'd watch movies. And so I watched that, that self-same HBO pirated uh, copy of this. And I watched that a couple times then. And I am almost certain I have not seen it since 2002. Mm. Um, but I was surprised, like muscle memory, I remembered a lot of the gags. I remembered Scrooge's facial expressions in a lot of, uh, in a lot of places because I had seen it so much as a kid. I, I, I mean, I've seen this movie as much as I'd seen any of the Disney movies. Like it, mm. there was no real difference for me growing up um, between this and Aladdin or the little mermaid or whatever. Although oh, now yeah. obviously I recognize that those are much higher quality movies than DuckTales Treasure of the Lost Lamp. Yeah. But, the but yeah, 100% agreement. Like, that as a kid it all just blended together you know um and i think some of that we've we've discussed before like you know you, you'll watch uh robin hood <laughs> alongside um or or for me sword in the stone i know sword in the stone wasn't a favorite of yours you know but quality wise probably about the same as this movie honestly right um and then you know you'd watch those alongside um you know the renaissance era films and as a kid I, I didn't have the eye or, or care that, you know, the quality was different. They were just, you know, fun movies that I enjoyed watching. So. Hmm. Yeah. So this one came out, actually, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's good to mention how it kind of lines up with the, uh, with the canonical movies. Cause I think it's interesting. This one comes out right around the time of uh, rescuers down under. I think it's the same year. Um, is that right? Was rescuers down under 1990? I want to uh, say, yeah, I think that's right. Rescuers on the Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting to me because I know with Rescuers Down Under, they're kind of going for that um, more action movie feel, um, you know, trying to bring animation into that more cinematic action movie stuff. And they're doing the same thing here <laughs> on a much smaller budget. And uh, I much think more effectively. Yeah, they succeeded here much better, which is uh, kind of funny to me. Um, but we've talked about that several times, how sometimes the constraints of things make things better. And, well, and so. we also talked about how some of those Renaissance films were made by the B team. This was really made by the B team. Like these, these are people who are not working for um, Walt Disney feature animation. They're working for Disney movie tunes, it was called. And, and actually it was animated not by an American staff, but by, uh, the, the staff in France. So it really is, um, it really is a completely different group, group of people. And, uh, I, like, as you said, I think this is a much more successful action, um, cartoon than, uh, than the rescuers down under is. Yeah. And that, that being in Europe um, is really interesting to me. I actually, um, 
I wish it was a little more European even because I know that they hold um, the Karl Bark. Uh, um, they're, they're not called DuckTales. What are they called? Just his comics of, like in that DuckTales universe um, in such high regard over there. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, Especially Scandinavia, so, I think. I think the Scandinavians every year watch From All of Us to All of You, the Disney Christmas package uh, television special. I think I think something like ninety percent of Sweden tunes into that on television, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I I know they just have they had high regard for the source material, and so yeah, like I think this I think the the screenplay and stuff was all done on the American side, and they sent it over there to be animated. But I I, I wish there was a little more French influence. I think it would have made the movie just that much more weirder and more interesting like I, I mean i already love it as it is but one thing that i will say about that in particular is um let's see i have a quote here from um let's see what's sorry his name's animator larry his name's not animator sorry well <laughs> with a name larry. like that what else was he gonna do for a living yeah his name's larry rupel he is an animator apparently he is like the only american on the team over there in france and um, and he says, um, there are many occasions when I had to explain to supervisors or other animators the exact meaning of some American slang phases, phrases used in the dialogue of the script. But he says also that for all the Europeans working on this Disney feature, it was a dream come true because most of us were working on a feature for the first time in our lives. In a way, it was our Snow White. And I just love that idea of these guys working uh, you know, is this is their chance to animate a feature film instead of just television, and they're taking it extremely seriously, you know, mm-hmm. and really putting their heart into it. Um, and I think that shows in some places. There's there's obviously um, a gap <laughs> in the quality if you're if you're watching carefully for it. But I still I just love that idea of these um, European animators who you know like this is their break in the animation is is trying to to create this, which is it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and, and this property that even by then, because it's it, it came out after the third season of Ducktales, so this was already a very beloved property even in the United States. I mean, I don't know anybody our age who didn't grow up loving Ducktales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how, if you've gone back and watched any of the old episodes. They're still pretty good. Like you know, it's a it's a made for television children's cartoon, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's well done for the most part. Yeah. As I was reading and researching for this uh, for this episode, actually, I was like, I I really should just go back and rewatch all these. Like, so we I may do that. I may uh, there's a hundred of them, so I may you know spend spend 2021 working my way through through the Ducktales uh, series. So, um, but yeah, I, I I remember loving them as a kid, and and the ones that I've seen since, I agree, have held up. So, have you watched the new series at all? I've not even seen it. I mean, I know that it exists, but I've never seen an episode or anything. It's so. fine. It's it's not the Ducktales from your childhood, and if you go in not expecting it to be, you'll you'll probably enjoy it. It's it's mm-hmm. you know a bunch of LA comedy people, um, but it's it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that'll be 2022. <laughs> yeah. There you, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing I want to say about it being in France is that this same studio though does go on to eventually, um, they. They do uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame in that studio. They do um, uh, Tarzan, which is the last movie that we just did, was largely animated in France. 
um, at this studio. Um, ten minutes of Hercules was animated there, and I kind of have a guess about which ten minutes because it's, the, it's the part with the pillars falling over. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's the part with the pillars falling over because it's exactly the same from Hercules. It's kind of fun to imagine this guy and you know that's his idea in every meeting. Like, oh, what if, <laughs> what if we knock over all these pillars? A bunch of pillars like dominoes. That's a great gag. <laughs> Yeah. So, anything else about France that you wanted to say? I mean, I, I, you're more of a francophile than I am, so um. nothing about the movie strikes me as terribly French. But hey, uh, like you said, they I know that they love um, the Karl Barks comics and in Scandinavia. I don't really know if they're popular in France as well. They're probably more popular in France than they are in America, though. Yeah, I really don't know. I don't you, know. If you, you've read those it. comics, right? Some of them. I know almost nobody's read all of them because it's like 45 years worth of comics yeah yeah i have read some of them i would they so fantagraphics has been putting out the entire collection and i have only one of the volumes i'd i would love to you know have a nice library and have <laughs> an entire uh carl barks library sitting on one of the shelves you know like of these really nice fantagraphics um uh editions that they're putting out but right now that's not my that's not my t- uh my lifestyle <laughs> how would you how would you describe the um the comics vis-a-vis the television show and the movie. Yeah, I think, well, I think the thing that is shared is the, you know, kind of the, the adventure, the big landscapes, you know, they're always, they're always off in some sort of, um, you know, national geographic esque, like, you know, uh, foreign location, you know what I mean? Um, the, the type of thing that actually inspired, uh, things like Indiana Jones. So it's kind of an interesting full circle that we see in this movie where this movie is so clearly inspired by Spielberg, but Spielberg himself was inspired by things like the Carl Barks uh, comics, you know? So right, yeah. uh, there's an interesting full circle there. So yeah, that like that aspect of it, um, you know, uh, Scrooge's greediness is, you know, I mean, that's, that's core to his character. And so, so that's, that's obviously a holdover. Um, there was, there was a uh, kind of curmudgeon article that came out at the time of this movie by dave kerr in the chicago tribune um where he's he's very disappointed in in how it falls short of carl barks's uh comics um because he just says that um let's see he says the story is a barks pastiche that draws largely on a strip called the treasure of alibaba um in this version, Scrooge battles an evil magician named Murloc for possession of a magic lamp that contains an irritable, easily exhausted genie. Um, and he says, the elements seem largely in place, yet DuckTales has no personality of its own. Everything in it seems either imperfectly remembered or indifferently imitated. Well, that doesn't <laughs> so, seem fair. It doesn't <laughs> seem very fair at all. So, um, yeah, he's, yeah, so he was not a fan of it. Um, and he, he felt like Carl's Barks and, and Disney himself would have been embarrassed by this particular outing. But I, I don't view it that strongly. I, I, I can appreciate a good curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> I think actually as I was reading this article, I think what I, what I'm, what the, the tone I'm trying to hit on this show is like a, a charitable curmudgeon. <laughs> right, right. Um, and yeah, he doesn't have the charity, I, I think, there, but, um, but yeah, if if people are interested in that in that version of the take of, you know, how this compares to Carl Barks, that's that's his take. So 
for years I've said I was going to get into the Carl Barks comics because, you know, I love Donald Duck, um, but uh, I, I never have. So <laughs> here we yeah. are. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> no la- no time like the present. <laughs> That's true. I could just order the, order them all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're fun. You know, like they're they're a lot of fun, um, fun, fun adventure adventure stories and wild wild locales. You know, which this movie, you know, it just it just basically has the one wild locale um I, th- I feel like the tv show they were a little more all over the place but. well they also go to the explorers club in the at the mountain resort mm-hmm. and then that's true. you also have the heist the heist sequence that's the 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 third third of the movie is mm-hmm. it's not a wild locale but it's it's kind of indiana jones-esque yeah yeah i, I really like the heist scene um I would say prior to Toy Story 3, it was the best animated I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) Toy Story 3 kind of blew it out of the water. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it would be fair to compare DuckTales, the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp, to Toy Story 3. You don't get that sense of existential dread here either. No, that's true. But, you know, they paved the way. So last episode, you said you were interested to see uh, how much I hated Webby, mm-hmm. and the answer is not at all. I didn't. I didn't find her uh, really annoying at all. Oh, that's great! Even when she makes that last final wish of <laughs> bringing all her animals to life. <laughs> I mean, that's a dumb thing to do. But she's what six years old. It seems like something a six-year-old would do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I did. I did kind of want to ask her. Like, don't you remember what happened last time you when you <laughs> wished for the elephant? sweetheart <laughs> she suffered no consequence that's true it's uh, it's huey dewey and actually uh let's see one of them doesn't suffer it um i guess dewey never has to undo a wish but huey and louie both have to undo one of webby's wishes so they don't keep super good track of uh whose wishes go to what because she says she's out of wishes but we've only seen her do two of them yeah it's true but we see that. So actually, we should talk about the wishes a little bit. Um, unless, uh, did you want to say more about Webby in particular as a character? Uh, no, just that she didn't annoy me. Okay. <laughs> um, how about the genie? Did the genie annoy you? Uh, the genie, I was a little more on the line with, but mostly he didn't annoy me. I, you know, when I first watched this, I had no idea who Rip Taylor was, and uh, this time it was like, oh, that's Rip Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. he's he's playing the Rip Taylor part. He does everything but break out the uh, um, the confetti that was Rip Taylor's bid on Match Game. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm still not familiar with Rip Taylor, but yeah. Anyway, with the wishes, um, I think uh, so. The it, it's kind of a fun play on the on the Aladdin um, or genie wishing trope, right? It's like usually it's the the poor person who comes across the lamp and is trying to gain prestige or power or money or whatever. Um, in, you know, like that's, that's the normal fairy tale. These kids already have everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's something a little kind of charming about them kind of, you know, uh, wishing for giant ice cream sundaes and stuff like that, you know, just like things that are, you know, a little whimsical and not like out of, out of the ordinary, like what can we really do with these genie powers? You know, um, when our, 
when our uncle could already buy us anything that we could wish for. Right, yeah, it becomes, on the one hand, what wouldn't Uncle Scrooge do for us? Like, let an elephant into their house. And, and uh, on the other hand, like, what is Uncle Scrooge not capable of doing because he doesn't have magic powers? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so Webby's wishes actually make the most sense in that context. <laughs> like, well, Uncle Scrooge can't bring my animals to life. <laughs> I'm sure he can find a way. He is a quad what quad trillionaire? Quadzillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I guess yeah, um yeah, within, you're right. Within the within the realm of DuckTales, there's definitely of like plenty of AI robots and stuff like that running around, so he he could definitely find a way to get get her toys some some semblance of life at least. Gyro Gear Loose could design something. Yeah. A little disappointed Gyro doesn't make an appearance here. Yeah. I always liked Gyro. Yeah. And you don't but get you that, don't get any of the regular bad guys either, so there's no magic at the spell or my favorite um named bad guy outside of the Captain Planet universe, Flintheart Glomgold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's gotta be original to the Carl Barks comics. That just seems like a name that he would come up with, but I'm not actually sure if he is or not. I like that they did it. There are two hyper wealthy Scottish ducks. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I, I mentioned this in the Mickey's Christmas Carol episode, which is that um, Scrooge McDuck is Scottish because Scottish people were once stereotypically cheap. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I, I, <laughs> like an unfortunate uh, um, backstory there. <laughs> I, I, I guess. I mean, the, the the stereotype has so completely disappeared that it's hard even to imagine it. I think like it's it's it, it disappeared before I was born. I've heard that what happened was Jack Benny made it so much a part of his comedic persona that he was cheap that basically no ethnicities were seen as cheap anymore. Just him. Mm. Interesting. So the Scottish, the Scottish owe him a debt of gratitude if they don't want people to think they're cheap. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ethnic stereotypes, though, uh, I think we should talk about Dijon. <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> we should probably at least acknowledge uh, that, that that character is um, is annoying because he's so uh, un PC. I guess would be the. <laughs> The kindest way to put it. He's a he's a stereotype of an Arab from one of these old uh, Indiana Jones type serials. So mm-hmm. I mean, they're playing with a stereotype um, rather than just like inventing one, I suppose. But yeah, um, some of the Dijon stuff was was pretty hard to watch for me. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't. No one would make that these days, you know? <laughs> no, they would not. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah but at least he wasn't a terrorist so yeah that's true it's true he's cowardly and uh, kind of fake uh, submissive Mm -hmm. but not a terrorist yeah I did kind of find myself wondering what was in it for him to uh, help Murloc this whole time although I guess I guess um, he also uh, was trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, for him, he had the amount of the money he was promised, you know? So that's something. Actually, I think it was, the, there's an interesting thing here where Murloc, um, 
Murloc is not interested in wealth at all. Yeah. You know? So Dijon and uh, Scrooge are both highly interested in the wealth. Um, and Murloc's got like a different, he's, he's at a different game. And I think, I mean, that's, it's really like, um, it, it's <laughs> one of the most, I don't know, like, powerful is the wrong word i don't know the word i'm looking for but uh like a moment in the movie where uh you know the scrooge is watching his money bin money turn into this grotesque stone you know uh that murloc that's what he wants you know like somehow this stone represents to him i don't know what power or um yeah i I don't know I, i don't know exactly what murloc is is after <laughs> dark sorcery or something. I don't know. Um, but you know, like the, the money doesn't matter to him. He'd rather just turn it into this, this stone. And so in a way he's probably willing to give Dijon anything he wants because you know, he doesn't that that's, he's not, he's not on that level. He's at a different level. And it makes it difficult for Scrooge and probably for us too to understand what motivates him, right? Because it's so different from what motivates Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Like D- Dijon, as you point out, is, is, is just kind of a, a worse version of Scrooge, a less ethical version of Scrooge. But Murloc is this this being from another, a completely different table of values. Mm-hmm. And they play it for laughs sometimes, but also like this is a guy who destroyed Atlantis and Pompeii because he couldn't get a vacation there. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like, the, <laughs> he's had the genie <laughs> killed, like, tens of thousands, maybe millions of people. <laughs> yeah. Because he was slighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't really go down that path, but you're right. If you think if you think about what genie says about his backstory for too long, then, then there's a lot. Like, <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that's there's there's a reason why genie's crying over the the terrible deeds he had to do, you know. Right. Well, how often do you see a genie afraid of a master? Mm-hmm. Even um even genie in Aladdin's not really afraid of Jafar. Yeah. Yeah, he's regretful of some of the things he has to do, um, in a similar way to the the way this genie is. But yeah, he doesn't. I mean, you're right. I mean, Genie is so afraid of going back to Murloc that that he's just like, you know, he manipulates Dijon to to get out of it. He says, "Why why don't you be the master?" You know. I like the concreteness of Dijon's thinking that instead of wishing to be rich, he wishes to have Scrooge's fortune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was I. <laughs> <laughs> that part of the movie actually bothers me a little bit. Um, I mean, you got to just go, you just got to ride with it, you know? Um, and I think it's, it's good. Um, it's good in the sense, like narratively it's good because it, it's the thing that finally gets Scrooge to um, break his selfishness and his, you know, gold lust that has been driving him the entire movie. Um, now he's more concerned with, uh, you know, getting back with his family and, um, not entirely, or he wouldn't, <laughs> you know, um, but somewhat, you know, like he's, you know, uh, you know, he says, you know, when he's in that jail cell, like if I ever get a wish again, I'll never make a wish for myself. So it's what, it's what puts, puts him to the low, lowest point. But 
the thing that bothers me, I'm just nitpicky, is like, why do they still have access to the helicopters and planes? Like, why does, you know, why is Launchpad still got the S on his, uh, on his, on his helicopter and, and then later they're on the, on the plane that he skydives out of to get into the vault, you know? Because Launchpad like, refuses to go along with it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's, it's the heroics of Launchpad. But it seems like he, uh, you know, he switched the S to a D on in everywhere, you know, but somehow it's still not switched on the plane. Maybe because um, Scrooge was in the helicopter with Launchpad when all this happened. Yeah, well, that one I could, yeah, I, I could, I could head cannon that, but then they use a different vehicle to get into the. <laughs> this is so silly. Um... <laughs> They use a different airplane that he jumps out of to skydive down to the, uh... but maybe Dijon just didn't realize about the airlines. He got the house and the factories and even the stamp collection, but he forgot about the airfield. Did you notice, do you watch with, um, closed captioning on? Um, I, I did it this time. I do. I usually, I do for, for these. So, so I can pull the quotes the, more directly. The but. Disney plus, uh, closed caption when he says stamp collection says spat collection. Oh really? Which, what a weird, <laughs> what a weird error. That still makes sense because Scrooge does inexplicably wear spats. <laughs> Are spats the things on his on his uh, on his feet on his yeah. web on his feet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he got his spat collection and his stamp collection. <laughs> Maybe in the original script it's spat. I don't know. Or something. I, I certainly always thought it was stamp when I was growing up. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, man, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, because where do they when they do the closed captioning like that? I imagine they're they're running it off of the screenplay, or no? I don't know. No, I, don't know I, they... I wouldn't think so. I've seen too many errors on these streaming services. Uh, I think I think they've got somebody just watching it and and typing it out. Yeah, or some sort of AI is doing it. That that may also <laughs> be true. Although, if you ever watch the the YouTube ones that are that are really just um, voice recognition software, it's those are really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that's a pretty good joke though. I kind of like that. The spat, your your spat collection. Yeah, your spat collection. Yeah. I feel like I pulled us way afield there, wherever we were heading towards. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. We we were we were fact checking um, Ducktales <laughs> Treasure of the Lost Lamp. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not entirely sure the genie the genie stuff works here. Yeah. If we're talking <clears throat> about things that don't make sense about the genie. Why can't they wish for the talisman? Yeah, that's the one wish you can't do, Michael. <laughs> the one wish. The one wish. He's already shot down several of their other wishes. Well, those aren't wishes. Those that's are miracles. Right. Those are miracles, and yeah, it's kind of fun that they address that. You know, good good on Huey to be like, hey, I guess one of us should should wish for peace and happiness, and it's good to be at least <laughs> they address it. You know, oh, this isn't you're in the wrong movie, kid. <laughs> Don't bother. I thought that was a thing that Aladdin um, handled much better, the, the kind of limits on the wishes. Mm, yeah. I mean, Aladdin is a better movie than this in, in almost every way. <laughs> That's true. That's true. This is distinct, suppose... distinctly minor. Yeah. 
supposedly they they actually wanted Robin Williams for this genie. Really? So is this, that true? Okay, so here's the story. This is according to um, an article on sci-fi.com, S-Y-F-Y. Um, Siffy. Siffy. Siffy.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, but the, they're talking to, um, what's his name, Weimer. Uh, I forget. I don't see his first name here, but like he's one of the creators of DuckTales. He says, um, uh, he said he had only one person in mind to voice the genie. I wanted Robin Williams. And um, Weimer's apparently knew Williams from back in the Mork and Mindy days. So to bring Williams' voice to animation, Weimer called Jeff Katzenberg. <laughs> I called Jeffrey and said, I want Robin Williams to do the voice of genie. And he said, I think that's a terrific idea. I'll start working with Robin's managers and I'll get back to you. Few days passed without word, so Weimers called Katzenberg for an update. The chief informing Weimers that he was in talks with Williams' team. A few days after that, still no word on whether Williams would be heading to Duckbird. Weimers again called Katzenberg, and suddenly Weimers said, "Jeffrey isn't taking my calls." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and he snatched him for his own genie. Which, uh, to be fair i guess to weimer's version of the story uh that's something that katzenberg has done before um with you know snatching people for his own movie famously grabbing um uh people for what uh prince of egypt away from pocahontas right away from or away from not away from pocahontas away from what was after pocahontas hunchback away from yeah away from hunchback for prince of egypt i think is the stories so Anyway, that, that, I know I know we were past our Katzenberg stage on the show. I'm sorry to bring him back up again. That's crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine the alternate universe if Robin Williams had been in DuckTales, Treasure to Lost Lamp? Because <laughs> the plan was they were going to make 10 DuckTales movies. You know, they were going to make a bunch of them. But then this was mm-hmm. a flop. It wouldn't yeah. have been a flop if Williams had been in it, I suspect. But then Aladdin probably wouldn't have gotten made unless he was just the voice of every Disney in the genie in the every genie in the Disney universe. Yeah, could they have used him twice, back-to-back like that? I suppose they could have. They could have, but then Aladdin would have to be part of the DuckTales universe. <laughs> right? Like, there's no... There's no <laughs> He's human... literally the same genie. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. Oh, uh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Katzenberg ruins everything. <laughs> so they couldn't get... Robin Williams and their second choice was Rip Taylor. Yeah, I guess so. Like I said, I'm not super familiar with Rip Taylor. So Rip Taylor was um, he was one of those guys who was on like Hollywood Squares and the uh, in the Match Game. He he wasn't he wasn't an actor exactly. He was just a character like Charles Nelson Reilly or Paul Lind. Um, so so really, I mean, he he kind of just went on game shows in the in the 60s and 70s and did the rip taylor thing this big gay you know um loud act that he does here as well and then his Mm -hmm. his big bit was he had a bag of confetti that he would throw out which makes me a little bit surprised they don't do anything with confetti in this but you know what are you gonna do yeah maybe he didn't want them to maybe he was trying to expand maybe not yeah so, 
but as I said, he's fine. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't mostly not annoyed. Although it, when when he first comes out of the lamp and yells "Shablooey," Victoria turned to me and said, "Oh, he's got a catchphrase." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Michael, because I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question. Did Did Disney come up with the idea of releasing a genie and turning him into a real person? Or is that original to the Aladdin material? It's not. Because origi- they do- it's not original to the Aladdin material. And and jinn in um, in Arabic mythology are not friendly. You know, they're not the sort of creature you're going to want to do a favor for. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you I- say would you say they're not a person? They're a thing. <laughs> um, they're not a person. They're like a supernatural force. Like they're yeah. they're they're not evil exactly but they're they're sure not good mm-hmm. i i think i think the monkey's paw is probably closer to what a genie is is like in the uh, in the arabic mythology now, i'm not an expert but that, that's that's my impression yeah so i i so they did aladdin did rip off this movie then i'm not aware of one before this it doesn't mean it doesn't happen but i'm not aware of one how pissed off must the DuckTales guy have been when Aladdin comes out a couple years later, steals the plot, steals the voice actor, and makes a billion dollars? Yeah. I mean, not literally a billion. A lot. A lot. <laughs> you know, I bet in that alternate universe version where this this movie did huge instead of Aladdin, um, that would would have really changed the dynamics of like not just the DuckTales franchise but like this studio because this flops the studio decides or Disney decides that you know we're going to start doing all these you know sequels and midquels and all that sort of stuff right uh-huh um because they're they're a safer bet they're a surer bet direct to film or direct to uh, VHS stuff and uh, I feel like this current environment, this current risk adverse environment that we're in, where they're recreating and doing all the live action stuff, is is a direct, you know, there's a direct line all the way through there. Do you think if Robin Williams had been in this, that Donald Trump would have become president? He's the he's the connector of all universes. They all lead back to that point. It's yeah, Katzenberg <laughs> poaching uh, Robin Williams from DuckTales Treasure at a Lost Lamp. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do pre um, pre 2015. <laughs> 2015 in every universe, Donald Trump announces his presidency, and then. <laughs> so. The bummer is because this flop, they never made the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie that they were planning. Because I was that's a right. monster Chippendale Rescue Rangers fan, like huge. That's, yeah, that's right. They were also planning that, and that got scrapped because this movie didn't do so super well. There you go. What else do you want to talk about, Michael? <laughs> I feel like I keep sidetracking you, no matter what you bring up. I'm like, oh, no, that's all right. <clears throat> I really like the score by uh, David Newman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking the whole time I was like this score is way better than this movie like deserves. <laughs> like it's 
like it felt to me i don't know why i don't know i don't i i guess because i don't normally really notice scores and so um unless they're like they're stand out you know and so this one like really stood out to me and i was like wow i really like what they're doing with the music in the background here yeah it it, it they use you know i'm sure used a real orchestra and yeah that was really good too i'm not very I mean, good at talking about scores i'm afraid right well i'm not either it's one of those things though it's like you know like what are all the ingredients that actually make a movie work you know i think it's 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 got to be one of the contributing factors so i mean we said it's like th- uh, three episodes of the tv show but it's really not um like that i mean it, it is in the sense that that's what the script is like but you've got big name voice actors right you've got um uh not robin williams but you've got uh christopher lloyd coming in as the as the voice of murloc you uh-huh. the, the animation is substantially better uh-huh. uh the it has a it has a real score uh, conducted by an Oscar winner David Newman, mm-hmm. um, so I, it really they they really did try to push this up to the next level. It's just the script yeah. the script is 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 mostly just like it would be if it were uh, three episodes of the TV show. Right, doesn't have to make. I mean, actually, it makes it's it's fairly coherent. I mean, we've we've pointed out a couple of the the nitpicky things, but like it's not a. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just fun. I mean, I think there's there's a value in that though, too. Yeah, you know, like there's a value in just like like this is just a fun adventure, and we're you know we're chasing this thing, and we're going from here to there, and then you know we we get it, and we lose it, and now we got to get it again, and there's a big bad guy who also wants the same thing, and it's yeah, it's just kind of fun. Yeah, it's not art. There's no there's no real emotional stakes. Um, it's not trying to push animation to any kind of new front. It's it's taking a property that people love and trying to make something cool with it. And, you know, on those terms, it's more or less a success. It doesn't mean we probably have less to say about it than we do about um, about even the bad movies that shoot for something higher than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> that's probably part of the, uh, the rabbit trails today. Probably. Just not, not much to say about the movie itself. Um, and, well, and, and the voice acting is not specific to the movie either. So it's like we can talk about Alan Young as Scrooge McDuck, but it's, you know, he's played that role for a decade at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there's not going to be a whole lot new to say about it. Yeah. You know who Except Alan he... Young is better known for, right? I do not. Know. He's Wilbur from Mr. Ed. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah I didn't watch a lot of Mr. Ed. You were smart not to. I've seen it, but yeah, that's funny that he's Wilbur though. Yeah, I think he does a great job of Scrooge. Yeah, like, I, think I do too. It's, yeah, a, it's his a, emotional it's... range is is good for I mean for what Scrooge is. I mean Scrooge is like Scrooge is just really interesting to me like as a character choice. You know, I think we talked about this in uh, um, last last year when we were talking about Mickey's Christmas Carol as well. You know, like there's just something that's just repulsive about him if if you stop and think about him <laughs> too long. You know, but like he comes across so like lovable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like like he's he, I mean, this is a guy who literally decorates everything with a giant dollar sign. 
Like that's his entire decor like scheme. He you know? he puts a dollar sign in his olive in his sandwich that he eats. <laughs> I missed that one. That's so great. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and and it, but in that same scene, like the the the. So I like looking at like the artwork on the walls in movies. Like I think that's really interesting. And there's some really like interesting. Uh, I don't even know. Like I wish I knew more about art styles to say like what it even is in the mansion. But like next time you watch this movie, like look at the art in the mansion. It's really interesting. But the art in the um, in the vault is literally uh, bags of money. <laughs> He's got framed pictures of bags of money. His <laughs> loved ones. <laughs> and yet yeah. he doesn't really come across as stingy he he does there's a couple places where he does right like he mm-hmm. um he doesn't want to give webby the lamp because he's afraid it might be worth something and she tricks him by saying that she'd rather she'd rather have the the crown instead and he gives it to her mm-hmm. but for the most part he seems fairly indulgent to the children you know he gives yeah. them what they want and more than they want yeah I, I yeah, guess. that's the thing. Like he, they, they, they don't really. Th- that's the thing is they don't really take his character to its end point. You right. know, like they let it, they let it weave, and it works. You know, like it, it's not consistent, um, but but it works. You know, and 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 it makes <laughs> it would be unbearable if they didn't. You know. Well, right, because when you're a kid and you watch Ducktales, you think, oh, I wish Uncle Scrooge would adopt me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you want to go live in that mansion and have all the things that Hugh, do and Louie have. Yeah. And all the fun they have. Right. Like, I mean, they're constantly on an adventure. Well, that's the other know? thing. He's an old man who can't walk without a cane, and yet he's an action hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he beat down those uh, giant scorpion things with his uh, with his cane. And then he, you know, he skydives, breaks open the vault door. He won't stand down to Murloc, you know? Like, he's like... We're gonna stay. We're gonna stay and fight. He turned into a bear. All right, <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, he's unflappable, as it were. <laughs> yeah, he's he is a very interesting character, and it's it's funny that like this beloved children's character, like I said, everybody our age loves Ducktales, um, is you know an eighty year old man. He's Donald's uncle, so he must be at least in his 70s. Oh, yeah. I mean, they joke about it in the movie. He says he can't still be alive. He'd be older than Uncle Scrooge. I know he's been looking for Kali Baba's treasure for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to do it for another 40, if he has to. I think about that line all the time, for whatever reason. I've thought about it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, because you're not even 40 yet. That's right, yeah. What Yeah. What have what I been looking you... for for 40 years? I don't know. Yeah. You have to find it and then immediately lose it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you've got that, and then you've got the uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie who are indistinguishable, right? There, there's no difference between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Except the color shirt they wear. They don't have personality differences. Yeah. But they're there to give kids kind of a way in, right? Because you want to be cool like them. You want to mm-hmm. have their life. You want to have the Junior Woodchuck guidebook. Yeah, for every single situation. I used to carry around a children's dictionary and um, act like it was a junior woodchuck guidebook. That's so I amazing. mean, I was, what, 15, 16? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> Still amazing. <laughs> did you ever see, didn't they make a show called Quack Pack that was like a, a 90s extreme version of the mm-hmm. uh, of Huey, Dewey, and Louie? Yes, that happened. Was it terrible? I, didn't, I never watched an episode. <sighs> yeah, me neither. But yeah, that is the thing that happened. But so, so they're the, they're there to be like the kid replacement, and I guess when you're a kid, they're who you identify with, right? Because I didn't carry a cane around; I carried the fake woodchuck guidebook. Yeah. But like Scrooge really is the hero, and and he's unappealing in you you would think almost every way to a child, and yet he's not. Oh, it's amazing. It's a. Yeah, what did? And I mean, that's that's all Carl Bark, you know. Like I think that, like he's he's the one who who made that a, a a possibility, right? By by creating by creating this this duck <laughs> that people like, you know. I don't know. That's pretty amazing. I do wish there was more launch pad. In the movie, uh, Launchpad mm-hmm. is always my favorite. Yeah, I I enjoy Launchpad too. He's pretty great. He's got some great lines in here. About uh, he calls he calls his uh, uh camel after trips over. He says, "Old Humpy had a great fall." <laughs> <laughs> I like it when he kicks the top of the pyramid because he thinks it's a mm-hmm. stupid rock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Launchpad. I think Launchpad is also, you know, another one that that makes the makes the show. It's another. It's another in. You know, like he's he's the dashing. I mean, he's he's the more. Well, it's kind of funny because it's he's he's the more who you'd expect to be the the adventuresome hero, and right. he's a little bit more uh, clumsy, I guess. You know. Um, the clumsy sidekick but he looks like the dashing hero well he must have been popular enough because they took him over to Darkwing Duck that's right yeah those ones do not hold up as well that's what you said last time bummer yeah unfortunately so yeah hmm Well, I was going to ask you about this idea of like pastiche or homage, and I don't know. Are those like? Would you? Well, first of all, would you say those are the same or different? They're the, they're similar. I I don't know that I could articulate the difference between them off the top of my head. Yeah, because that's obviously what these are doing and are always doing, right? Like, I mean, that's this whole thing. Like, is what I I don't know. Like, do you have anything to? I was just, I was just going to ask you about that because I feel like you're more in like you you understand the history of these things and where they come from and stuff a little better than I do a lot. Um, yeah, I I I don't know that I could um I don't know that I could really articulate I could articulate the difference between parody and pastiche, which is pastiche is not um negative. Pa- pastiche is is celebratory rather than uh, satirical. Mm. But I don't know the difference between pastiche and an homage. I'm looking it up here. 
pastiche is is broader um so so an homage is like an off not maybe not even offhand but it's a direct reference that's part of a larger whole where pastiche refers to the larger whole does that make sense so the the whole first third of this movie is a pastiche of indiana jones and the temple or not temple of doom the other two <laughs> the temple of doom is the one that's not raiders of the lost yeah. ark in, in particular right and uh, mm-hmm. and and then like an homage would be have like the the uh the the cover art uh the the font on the cover of the movie is is uh an homage to uh, indiana jones okay and indiana jones itself is one big pastiche of of uh donald duck comics and adventure serials from the 40s right so, so you you've really yeah. you've really got it kind of snake eating its tail here yeah, which I, I think that's the thing that I, I found interesting. And yeah, I'm glad you articulated it that way. I wasn't quite sure how to articulate it. Um, the snake eating its tail. But like, a lot, I mean, art is, is, it kind of always runs in these sorts of circles, circle cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, I mean, you're, it's not always a pastiche, I guess, but like, there's, there's always an influence somewhere. There's, there's, there's like a, a family tree or, or something, you know, of, this influenced this, this influenced this. And I wonder like, um, yeah, when did, uh, is, is pastiche as old as art itself? <laughs> I think of pastiche as being kind of a postmodern form. And maybe that's because, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Frederick Jameson makes a big deal about how postmodernism uses pastiche a lot. And, and, and that, that's kind of my, major exposure to the term so i think of that as a very modern uh a modern thing and especially around that time actually right around the the end of the 80s early 90s you get a lot of movies that are kind of pastiches of earlier movies and for whatever reason i'm thinking in particular back to the future part three Uh which is a, a a pastiche of um of both 50s sci-fi and 50s westerns kind of Uh all all thrown together Uh and and this is a little bit of that um you you know like i said it's it's really three distinct movies um kind of betraying its uh its origins as a as episodes of the show but yeah I, i mean References to other works are as old as art. They've got to be right because you can't, you, you don't create out of whole cloth. But I, I think the the pastiche as a technique is something a little newer. Mm. And maybe that dates it a little bit. I don't know. I mean, this this movie does feel very early '90s to me. Yeah, well, I was thinking that was just because they said Wackabunga. <laughs> Wackabunga. <laughs> Quackabunga. Oh, Quackabunga. Right. That was a, that was the other oh, thing that the uh, yeah, sorry. the, the close captioning messed up. <laughs> what's the what's the close captioning? Say it says Wackamonga. Oh, okay. But it's got to be Quackamonga, right? It's got to be Quack. You're right. But I I think I heard it as Wack. I think that's why I said it. Maybe I'm but you're right. It's got to, no. It's got to be Quack. It's got to be. Yeah, so, so the, the, the weird thing about Ultra Pastiche is when I first saw this movie, I had never seen any Indiana Jones movies. So mm-hmm. I am I'm, I'm 100% sure that I did not recognize this as a pastiche, as a tribute right. to Indiana Jones. Did you? Yeah. No, and 
No, I don't think so. I don't know when. I don't. I don't know my timeline of when I saw different stuff. But that was another thing I thought of is like these are like entry war entries for kids into these. You know, I mean, not that the Indiana Jones movies are particularly like adult films, but you know what I, I mean. I don't know. Like, When's the last time you watched them? Well, I know that there's definitely adult elements, but that's more like the 80s, I guess, you know? <laughs> we watched all three of them uh, over over Christmas break, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they let children watch the second one in particular, my goodness. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I can't believe what my parents let me watch sometimes, but yeah, uh, they listen to this show, so thanks mom and dad anyway. Um, but like, uh, yeah, it's just... Um, it's interesting how how the times have changed, you know, like the social norms have changed about like what will. But I mean, we've been talking about this since our very first episode, you know, like the, there's nasty stuff in fairy tales, you know, before they got Disney. Right. Right. <laughs> and and but like that stuff was there. And I, I feel like late late 80s movies. I mean, so Temple of Temple of Doom in particular that's the one that they basically invented the PG-13 rating for, right? Yeah, that's that's true. That's right. Yeah, so before that, like there was there was G, PG, and R, you know. So like PG was a pretty broad area until they until they brought in that PG-13 rating. But I feel like yeah, going back and watching. I mean, I went back and watched Ghostbusters the other day. Yeah, Ghostbusters so much, is pretty filthy. There's so much like yeah, just innuendo and filth and stuff in there that I didn't realize as a kid, I guess, you know, or whatever. But so I, I, I just feel like that's like par for the course at the time, but what was I trying to get at? Oh, but like, yeah. So this, this idea of the way that we bring kids into these larger worlds of, you know, I mean, my, my daughter asked me tonight, you know, what's Atlantis? Like Atlantis was, you know, something that, that she's not like, she's being introduced to through, um ducktales mm-hmm. you know well, i'm sure i've never uh, heard of pompeii yeah um yeah they they had pompeii in one of their i think they knew that one because they actually had some that came up in one of their earlier lessons or whatever at school but um yeah there's i mean it's just interesting um i don't know that i have anything to say about this but <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting idea to me like how do we introduce things to kids and how it's changed in recent years, like recently, like not too long ago, um, you know, Sesame Street did this whole, uh, I mean, Sesame Street is constantly doing pastiches these days. Maybe they always have, but like, I feel like that's like a new thing, you know, and they did this whole one on Star Wars. And I was like, I don't actually want to show this to my kids because it spoils Empire Strikes Back, you know? A lot of that stuff seems to me to be there so that when families watch it together, there's something to entertain the parents. Mm-hmm. The Muppets were always really good at that. Yeah. Which I guess is Sesame Street. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's some of where all this started, is with the Muppets. And see, it, it gets turned into kind of an ugly version of that with a lot of the Dreams work, DreamWorks pictures, right? You get You get these movies that have a bunch of adult pop culture references, and they just come across as... Um, cynical uh-huh. whereas the, the the beautiful thing about um, Disney movies at their best and certainly about the Pixar movies at their best is, is there's something to entertain parents that kids don't get that isn't just easy pop culture references uh-huh. 
Now, would an adult who didn't see this when they were eight years old be interested in it? I don't know. Probably not, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think this one... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm too close to it to know. I have to ask an adult who's listening. <laughs> Write in and tell us. <laughs> I think Matthew Block, the new um, co-host of Christian Humanist, Nathan's replacement for this uh, semester... He said that he watched it with his kids a few a few months ago, and he'd never seen it before. But I, I, I don't think he really said whether he hated it. I think I had already announced how much this movie meant to me as a kid, so he may not want to offend, wanted to offend me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um. It that's that's the other interesting thing about like a pastiche is if you if you like the thing that it's playing off of enough do you enjoy it uh, on its own or do you have to know the thing that it's playing off of i mean obviously not for you because you said like you saw these before you saw indiana jones but like for someone who's seen indiana jones yeah is it (laughs) sorry i got twisted up in my own logic there is it better to not know the thing that it's referencing or is it better to to know it as you're watching it yeah i don't know i did and you, you said you didn't remember if you knew or not? Yeah, I don't remember. Certainly my kids like this, and they have not seen Indiana Jones. So. Had they seen DuckTales before, or was this their first DuckTales experience? Um, this was their, their first, at the time. Like, this this viewing was not their first viewing. But when, the, when I first introduced this movie to them, it was how I introduced DuckTales to them. Let's gotcha. this movie. Yeah, it makes sense. We didn't go in chronological order. I'm not sure it really demands that. <laughs> I think the universe pretty much resets at the end of every episode of DuckTales. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Arrested Development. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't think anything was until Arrested Development came along yeah, and yeah, had that, a creative. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well... Did you see any deeper meanings in here? Uh, I guess we already kind of said there isn't any. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, I did promise last month that we were going to talk about the video game, at least briefly. So. Uh, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. The DuckTales video game for Nintendo might be the best Nintendo game there is. Um, and I, I would put it ahead of most Super Nintendo games, in fact. I, ju- I just think it's, 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 it's really pretty close to perfect. Um, I... I played it many times as a kid. It's one of the few games I ever beat because we never bought games. We just rented them. So if you couldn't mm-hmm. beat it in three days, you couldn't beat it. <laughs> uh, but if you, you know, you go from, you go to these five different environments and you, uh, you have to, uh, have to find these treasures and bring them back. And then you have to fight Flint Heart Glomgold, Glomgold, uh, at the end, you have to race him to the top, I believe, uh, to get the final treasure. And uh, the gang's all there. Launchpad McQuack and the, the, the triplets and Webigail and Mrs. Beakley. Anyway, uh, I... Uh, Gyro's in it. Judge has got uh, um, Gizmo Ducks in there. That's true, yep. <clears throat> so if you have even a passing interest in DuckTales and haven't played that game for some reason, you got to go play it. It's great. Yeah. The gameplay is wonderful. <laughs> you, uh, you, you beat enemies by pogo sticking on their head using Uncle Scrooge's cane. Mm-hmm. Which uh, seems also very true to the spirit of the thing, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they made the right person the uh, the the lead 
protagonist and hero. That type of game, that kind of side-scroller platformer type thing is called, um, uh, what's it called, a Metro- Metroidvania, I think is uh, what they do. Yeah, sure. Uh, what's that called when you bring two words together? Portmanteau. Portmanteau. Portmanteau of uh, Metroid and Castlevania. Um, I guess they kind of set the tone for that that genre of games, but it sounds like you feel like it should actually be called the those games should be called the the Ducktales um, style of games. Well, we should, we should, we should petition for a renaming of the genre. Ducktales <laughs> was done by Capcom, who um, who did almost all the Disney games, and most of the licensed Disney games from the '90s are pretty good, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But they also did the the Mega Man games, and and uh, this owes quite a bit to Mega Man. Mm-hmm. In the sense that you can choose the order you do the stages, and uh, I mean you don't get to you don't get new uh, skills at the end of every stage like you do in, in Mega Man, but it definitely owes something to that. And the Mega Man games are great too. So Cap- mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for Capcom, and they they did the the I, I feel so guilty doing this podcast with a Genesis person, but they did the Disney <laughs> games for Genesis as well. Is that right? Yeah. Actually, the Genesis game that I really love. So I don't think so. The 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 Ducktales one. Hang on, you have to fact check me on this while I'm talking. I, it wasn't on Nintendo. Or sorry, it was on Nintendo. It was not on Genesis. I think that's right. But we had we had um, Quackshot, which was uh, it starred Donald Duck. He he's he like was, a it's like a Magnum PI type thing, right? He's he's a he's a uh, like a private investigator. No, it's um, he's uh, it's the same sort of idea. Like he's, I mean, in the on the cover, he's dressed up like Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. Um, he's yeah, so he's going. It's a it's a platforming style game, and you shoot um, uh, plungers is what you have. He has a plunger gun, and then I remember there was like different types of plungers that would stick on the wall for longer periods of time oh, when you sure. shot them against the wall. So you could. Uh, you know, um, you could jump up on them to get to different different parts of the stage of the game and stuff. And man, I I really liked Quackshot. I should look and see if that's been reissued. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what we had on the on the Genesis side. We didn't have um, we didn't have the Ducktales. And when you had, as I believe we discussed, uh, the better Aladdin game. Yeah, that's right. As as um, not only decided by by people at the time, but by the fact that it's been reissued now. That's the one that got reissued when they reissued Aladdin is they reissued the Genesis one, not the Nintendo one. Or Super Nintendo one, I think. It was Super Nintendo. I um I cannot express to our listeners how important all of this seemed in nineteen ninety four. I really did look kind of askance on Genesis kids as opposed to Nintendo kids. Mm. Yeah, we looked the same back at you. I'm sure. <laughs> Anyway, if you haven't played the DuckTales game, I'm sure there's a million emulators uh, where you yeah. can play it online for free. Or you can, I think they That's reissued right. it in a kind of updated more uh, version that looks more like the cartoon, but I, I've never played that. Yeah, it's the that one is available on a few platforms, but it's available on iOS if you have a iPhone or, or iPad or anything, you can play it on there. And it looks great. looks really great. And you know, it's really, if, um, really, nice, really nicely done. If Capcom would like to send us free copies of stuff for talking up their games, I would certainly accept it. <laughs> That's right. I'm not I'm not too proud for that. No. I'm not either. I would like a, a 
Capcom, if you're listening, I would love an old. Actually, Capcom didn't do the the. I'm, I'm trying to. You're going to offend did. them, Josh, and then we're not going to get anything. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop talking. I can't tell who made Quackshot. I don't think it was Capcom, though. Oh really? I'm looking. It doesn't. I'm on the Wikipedia page, but I'm not seeing who. Sega. Sega made it themselves. Sega made it themselves. So there you go. Never mind. Capcom, send me anything you like. (laughs) (laughs) Quackshot was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sega's not around to send you anything anymore, I guess. That's right. Well, they kind of barely exist. But yeah, definitely Nintendo won in in that battle. That 1994 battle, Nintendo definitely won in the long run. I was on the right side of history. You were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> All right. Well, man, it's been it's been fun talking around this movie with you. Yeah, we, we actually we barely <laughs> talked about the movie, but I, but it's also not entirely uncommon for these uh, these Deuteronomy canonical episodes. <laughs> That's true. It's just, yeah, it's like you said, there's just not as much depth there to, to pull out and talk about. But but maybe you disagree, and if you do, please please reach out to us. We're available at before they were live at gmail.com, or Michael is at Quellbummer on Twitter. He loves to get an at, at or a DM coming his way. Although, you know, my, my account is now private. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, oh. if people want so to follow me, they'll have to request it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah so see if he re- see if he approves your request yeah he he's one foot out the door once you go to a private account you're you're one foot out the door michael <laughs> i'm just gonna say in a couple months you're gonna be off twitter completely so it's my only connection <laughs> to the outside world <laughs> come live in the freedom anyway <laughs> our press liaison is christian philippic we're on the old interwebs at before they were dot live and christianhumanist.org. Uh, you can help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheyrelive at gmail.com. We want to encourage you to set your podcast players' dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman-Chauffer. Now off to bed, my wee ones. <laughs>